0: Hi, folks, welcome to episode 120 of the Epochs of the Loadseaters. I am, of course, joined by Bo, and today we're going to be talking about one of my favourite barbarian warlords, Attila the Hun. So, where do we begin with Attila the Hun?
1: Well, there's actually quite a lot that could be said. Yeah. Even though it's sort of the 5th century, which in my mind, the sort of 5th, 6th, 7th, 8th centuries are sort of the darkest of the Dark Ages. Yeah. However, we happen to have a fair bit on old Attila because <laughs> he made such an impact yeah. that people, even people that aren't, peoples, that aren't particularly known for writing a great deal down, did still. Mm. And of course there's the Romans, the, actual, the yeah. last vestiges of the Western Roman Empire and of course the, Byzant- the Byzantines. The so we've got a fair bit actually, just to mention the sources straight off the bat. Um, Priscus is probably the main one. Uh, an Eastern Roman hmm. who actually lived through it, so he's a primary source. He actually saw Attila with his own eyeballs. Yeah,
0: cause he was part of a deputation. Yeah. By was it Theodorus? The, who's the it man? was under
1: uh, Theodosius. Theodosius second. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So Priscus is probably well. He's the best yeah. primary source. I mean, he actually met Attila, didn't he? Yeah. 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 So
0: yeah, I mean, you couldn't get any better than that, could
1: you? Right. Yeah. Assuming what he said is true. Why wouldn't? Yeah. Be? Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. But you've always got to add that caveat yeah but we've, we've got no particular reason to think he's lying <laughs> um but there's also um a big history by uh, jordanes um a historic uh, gothorum which survives mm-hmm. um there's a bit later sidonius the bishop of Clermont, um and then there's lots there's other things other histories that are lost to us but are preserved um sort of indirectly so gregory of Tours, who lived m- long after yeah. uh, talks talks all about attila and mentions other historians that are lost to us right but we've got bits and bobs there's uh, procopius is a great uh historian in the age of um justinian um but he wrote all about sort of the 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 terror of attila mm. sweeping through the world uh, uh yeah and so yeah and there's various sort of German and Hungarian epics and poems, things yeah. all about him, the Germans know him by a different name. Um, so it's actually a fair bit. It's not like it's just like this shadow of a figure where we've just got a name no, and a bit of archaeology. We've got a fair bit of detail, really.
0: He, he's weirdly personable, right? As in, you can actually get a feel for the real man of Attila mm, mm. when reading like, something I've I've, you know read like loads about this and I've watched documentaries so just generally throughout my interest in history Attila keeps popping up as just a fascinating figure but he's he's a very real man in the in the history of it and he's obviously a terror as well you know he's just a things I don't even know if terror is the right word because like he he obviously does awful things and he is a terror I, there's a weird sense where there's a kind of familiarity with Attila with the Western Romans and the, the Goths and that, and it's not that he isn't doing awful things and causing them to you know, have gargantuan battles and great bloodshed on either side. But he doesn't feel as like alien as the Mongols, mm-hmm. right. Like the Mongols feel like, "Oh God, what, what is this that's turned up?" You know Attila has got a kind of weird familiarity because probably because he sticks around so long. Right. And he's repeatedly invading them, so oh God, and now Attila's like you know come some sort of alliance with the Eastern Roman Empire and stuff like that so so there's this there's weird familiarity about him that means that he is not as mysterious and evil as the Mongols,
1: yeah, I think that's a fair point, I'd agree with that, I think yeah, he's quite um human, I suppose, in the sense yeah. that we've got loads of anecdotes of um like mm. sort of snapshots of things. He did one that springs to mind that priscus mentions is at one point he's riding through his uh his his town i mentioned the the royal village Mm. um and one of the wives of one of his senior lieutenants comes out and just offers him drink and food and someone raises it up to him whilst he's still on horseback on sort of a silver platter and he stops and just takes a quick Glug and a, one quick bite just as a pleasantry. Yeah. But, you know, things like that. So it gives you sort of a snapshot of a real person. Yeah. Um, and there's loads of those. Yeah. So but you can there, see.
0: There's one, uh, I can't remember which battle it was, but he's supposed to have mocked the Romans for hiding behind their shields at mm, one point. And it's like, so he's got, you know, he's a guy with a sense of humour. You know, he, he's got quips, he's got one liners. You know, I'm the scourge of God and all this sort So of It's like, okay. This is weird, you know. Normally, like, there's a there's a veil of silence between, mm. like, you know, the the Great Terror and the the people suffering it. But with Attila, he talks to them, you know. He he deputizes. He he sends emissaries. He he is actually real.
1: So yeah, there's lots of sort of warlords from centuries after this hmm. where we don't really know anything about them. Yeah, they're, they're sort of just a name. Yeah, you know, they will be like whole generations of sort of vandal kings Mm. and it's just really a name on a king list Mm. centuries after this and so yeah we do have some nice little details of things like there's one i think i read it where it says he used to sort of roll his eyes in some sort of really disturbing way yeah Um, yeah little details like that so it's actually nice that we've got a fair bit of detail now i'm going to be quoting loads from gibbon again edward gibbon in the decline of of the roman empire um, volume three in my six-volume set. Um, yeah. I think originally it was came out in twelve volumes, but anyway, right. about halfway through the decline and fall of the Roman Empire in Gibbon. So I'm going to quote from Gibbon Lowe's because he obviously is brilliant, yeah. And he just takes all the best bits of people like Priscus and Jordanes and Procopius and whoever, hmm. and just gives us the best bits. So well, you could spend a lifetime. Hmm. in libraries or a lot of money getting these really really obscure texts i mean you can just pick gibbon up a second hand version of gibbon and it's all there for you done already all the because that's that what done. gibbon did right, yeah right. yeah so it's like, okay well, why wouldn't i just use <laughs> yeah. That? yeah yeah um, okay uh, so the, right so let's let's
0: begin at the beginning all then, right then. yeah um, all right so my my understanding of attila is that he was some kind of asiatic horse nomad um, who ruled in a kind of um, Triumvirate with his brothers, uh, a, 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 a people that we call the Huns, but they doubtless wouldn't have called themselves that. They probably came from like the far East Asian steppe, so they would have been Mongoloid-looking in their appearance, which seems yeah. to be what people say about because it's hideous yeah. uh, and you know bizarre, but you know who knows. Um, and we don't really know, like you know, he he had an empire. Um, but that's not an empire as we would understand an empire. I, I guess we call it like a dominion, maybe, is more appropriate. So it's just wherever the massive Hunnic army is at this point, Attila gets everything he wants, and then he goes on to wherever next, and then he gets everything he wants. And so it's it's hard to really it's you know, it's not an empire as we would understand it with ranks and officialdom and the bureaucracy and defined borders and things like this, like it's, it's going to be very fluid,
1: right? Yeah. Um, well, Gibbon tells us that the, sort of the Western portion of his quote-unquote empire, mm. he can, or the sources, the original sources, can sort of fairly well define. Mm. And the Eastern portion of it, they didn't know. So yeah. he doesn't know. So we don't know. <laughs> yeah,
0: because they, um, they didn't know how far the Asian
1: steppe went. He quite often calls him the conqueror of Scythia and Germany. Right. Okay. And we all know that Scythia... Is an ill defined place. Yeah, it begins
0: yeah. the sort of Ukrainian plains and then just who, who knows.
1: Uh, but it looks. It seems like he was Mongoloid or, or Chinese in appearance. Mm. And uh, I think I mentioned in the last one that quite often he'd have the Tatars, mm. often the vanguard of the Hunnic army. Yeah. And they really are from sort of Central Asia. Mm. Or even up there's some peoples that are sort of Siberian almost. Mm. Um, so yeah, sort of from China, and that again, even the word China is a very loose term, because you know, in our world today, there's yeah. very, very exact borders of China. <laughs> um, but back then, China was a lot smaller, and also again, more like just a general geographical name. Mm. People in Europe would just say China, and what they really meant was just the far, far east. Yeah, the Orient. Yeah. yeah. Or um, well, even that's funny because gibbon you talk about Orientals, and he quite often means people from the Near East.
0: Well, yeah, that's a great point actually. I, didn't even, I was thinking sort of you know Victorian usage.
1: Yeah, but we would say Orientals. We mean Far East Asia, don't we? Yeah, yeah, but, it, but yeah,
0: sometimes the, the 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 border of it has continued to move eastwards, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, but yeah. But this is the point, isn't it? With Asia, it's a giant landmass where mm. there aren't that many defining features in the the sort of central area so you just have no idea and it's probably not even worth trying to figure out who's yeah. where and what's what because it doesn't really matter but it's a and Attila, they didn't write it down so no and they, they probably didn't even bloody know you know well, it doesn't know. know the extent of his own domains <laughs> you know he's just got like a hundred thousand horse mounted archers and wanders wherever he wants and kills
1: whoever he needs to that's real power isn't it i don't even yeah. really need to know the true yeah. extent of my domains yeah. It's like I, um,
0: <laughs> what am I going to do? Send the guy over there to write down? I don't care.
1: There's a saying, isn't it, that if you have to check how much money you've got, then you're not rich. Yeah, yeah. It's like if you have to check the extent of your empire, you're not truly powerful. That sort, yeah. of, that sort of thing. But, there, um,
0: but there, there's no doubt he could raise a massive army yeah. of uh, absolutely terrifying men. Again, the, the, sort of, the sort of men who made up the Mongol army, uh, you know, these unbelievably hardy, Uh, pony riding, uh, recurve bow using, you know, Central Asians Mm. who eat raw meat and drink mare's milk and the blood of their mares to keep them going, and so can just move constantly. You know, they had like wagon trains, and so it's a very, very mobile empire, Uh, imperial, I don't know, I was going to say capital, but that's not the right word. But the, the, the you know, wherever Attila and his army is, is, very, very mobile. So this is one of the things we see in his lifetime. He's just popping in and out of people's empires all the time. Yeah. And it's really, it must have been really insufferable.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, extreme mobile, although he does have some sort of, some sort of capital, but it's not. We don't know we'll where get it to is. It. It's yeah. more little more than um, like a, a village, really. But I'll describe that because mm. um, we, we get to that. Um. Hmm. Uh, but yeah, so just to mention the parallels with the Mongols mm. of the 12th and 13th century, and also um, Timur, Timur the Lame, mm-hmm. or Tamerlane, who's yeah. um, after Attila the Hun, sort of after the Golden Horde, a little bit after. What is he like? The Tamerlane. We see the 15th century, century? 14th it? or 15th yeah. century. He's sort of the last gasp of these yeah. sort of yeah. truly Central Asian mm. Mongoloid type mass invasion, true bar- barbarian type people. So Attila's sort of one of the first of those, really, at least yeah. to um, sort of penetrate the European consciousness in a sort of proper yeah. documented way. And just, just a quick thing was, there as well. like, yeah.
0: it, like I, There's not like a gap between like the 5th century Attila and the 12th century Mongols. There are all sorts of other, like the Alans and the whoever else, you know, all these other, the, the the Eastern Roman Empire has to deal with. Like the these peoples are just... A thousand years of persistent headache for all of the civilized and settled peoples of Europe and China and wherever else.
1: Yeah, I mean a few, quite a few times actually. In Gibbon, he says we don't really know exactly how the 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 Hun in the age of Attila did it, but here's how the Mongols did it in the twelfth century, thirteenth century. Yeah, um, it's probably here's what similar. Tamerlane did. So surely Attila did must have operated like this. Yeah. So quite often he'll mention, he'll sort of you think, why are we suddenly talking about Genghis Khan? And it's just because it's um, sort of filling in the gaps a bit. Yeah. Um But
0: it's the same style of life and the same mode of warfare. Mm. So it's probably a reasonable guess mm. that Attila did things in basically the same way as every other step nomad empire yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. throughout history.
1: Yeah. Um so to start then, his father was uh, somebody called Munzak. That's a nice and name. yeah, he had a couple of brothers, but his main brother was a uh, Bleder or Bleder, I think it's Bleeder is pronounced anyway. Right. Either way, they would have pronounced it quite I'm sure, very yeah. differently. Yeah. Um and when his father died, Munzak Munzak died, he sort of the two brothers um took Two portions of this of this giant empire, but in the end um Attila sort of it seems uh got his brother to commit suicide and yeah. took it all for himself, so Attila probably killed his brother yeah. yeah 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 um and so where this empire stretched from somewhere in Central Asia or even east Asia um yeah all the way through sort of the the Russian steppe, I suppose. Mm. Um, down into Hungary, pretty much um, and all across sort of northern Europe, really mm. they say uh, we're told that at some point his his dominion even stretches so far as like the Baltic yeah where you would get furs, the best furs in the world oh. uh, from the baltic coast yeah probably um mm. uh, and so yeah, where Gibbon quite often calls him the king of Scythia and Germany mm. um and so yeah he had some sort of capital just north of the danube pretty much where budapest is where buda was Mm. and now budapest um probably there around there um but we're told that there was sort of nothing made of stone it was all just wooden
0: yeah
1: um so it's like one step up from just tents true nomadic tents but not a proper city in any real way apparently one of his captains commissioned some stone baths and that was about it even Attila's own palace in inverted commas was just wood hmm. um very ornate and fantastic but although then again i suppose charlemagne's palace main palace was wooden and that's like what three four hundred years later so um
0: but it, it, it does again. it does tell you a lot about the kind of people that they were. I mean, Mm. you know, you can't help but get the feeling that if Attila had to abandon his capital, he'd have just done it. Yeah, yeah, he's not completely married to it.
1: No, he's not like,
0: you know, Theodosius in Constantinople. He's like, no, I have to die here.
1: No, 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 I just, you know. There's a famous uh, embassy, which I'll talk all about probably in quite a lot of detail, actually, from the court at Constantinople to this this capital (coughs) and they just called it keep calling it like the royal village they call it quite a lot so it's like and it's um when you get they say when you went in there all their clothes and tables were completely covered with silver and gold and jewels and things because they've plundered everywhere they've got loads of yeah but they don't build in stone Mm. so i mean it's interesting well Um, they
0: didn't make any of those things themselves did they
1: yeah (laughs) yeah yeah they're not artisans themselves no Um, uh, So, if a very quick paragraph I'm giving just to sort of set Mm -hmm. out. Um, He says this. The Western world was oppressed by the Goths and the Vandals who fled before the Huns, but the achievements of the Huns themselves were not adequate to their power and prosperity. Their victorious hordes were spread from the Volga to the Danube, but the public force uh, was exhausted by the discord. Uh, of independent chieftains, their valour was idly consumed in obscure and predatory uh, excursions, and they often degraded their national dignity by condescending uh, for the hopes of spoil to enlist under the banners of their fugitive enemies. In the reign of Attila, the Huns again became the terror of the world, and I shall now describe the character and actions of of, of that formidable barbarian. Who who alternately insulted and invaded the east and the west, and urged the rapid rapid downfall of the Roman Empire. <laughs> hmm. um, so there's two parts really to the to the story of Attila when he as I, as I say sort of pops up on the radar of the European world. First, sort of, perhaps obviously is in the Eastern Roman Empire, and there's sort of that whole that whole period, hmm. and then and then what happens in the west with rome itself and he doesn't live to be all that old i mean he dies in his 46 years yeah 70, yeah, right? yeah so he's not like he lives to be all that old this one story of one of the gothic kings who's almost certainly in, in exaggeration but apparently lived to be over 100 oh, really um so you know life was a lot shorter but you yeah. could live to be old and anyway he's sort of he doesn't live for Decades and decades and decades, basically. But what's it's
0: remarkable it. about Attila is he doesn't die in battle. No, considering how much of it he does, yeah, you know, it would be reasonable to expect that he would get cut down in one of the massive battles in which he engages. Um, no, he, he dies um, drunk.
1: Well, probably we'll get to it, yeah, yeah we'll leave that Spoiler to the end, but um, <laughs> uh, um, and he does actually get involved in combat personally, yeah. Not, I don't know if it's all the time like, say, Alexander, mm. but he definitely does fight on the front at least a few times, at yeah. least. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, throwing the dice higher, letting the chips fall where they may. When well, we mentioned his uh, appearance, uh, I've got a, a, a fairly long paragraph here from mm. from Gibbon, um, so if I can read that. He says, quote, Attila, the son of Muntzak, uh Uh, deduced his noble, perhaps his regal descent, from the ancient Huns who had formerly contended with the monarchs of China. His features, according to the observation of a Gothic historian, bore the stamp of his national origin, and the portrait of of Attila exhibits the genuine deformity of a modern Kalmuk: A large head, a swarthy complexion, small deep-seated eyes, a flat nose, and few hairs in the place of a beard, broad-shouldered, and a short square body of nervous strength, though of a disproportionate form. Um, the haughty step and demeanour of the King of the Huns expressed the consciousness of his superiority above the rest of mankind, and he had a custom of fiercely rolling his eyes as if he wished to enjoy the terror which he inspired. See, little details like yeah. that, you can sort of imagine it, can't yeah. you? Yeah, um, um, yeah so that, that's. I think that's a great, little detail there. Um, Yet yeah, this savage hero was not inaccessible to pity. Uh, his suppliant enemies might confide, confide in the assurance of peace or pardon, and Attila was considered by his subject as a just and indulgent master. So that's something to mention, is that mm. He doesn't seem to be a, a completely insane sadist. Yeah. He's mm. barbaric, but he's... And, and we'll just order whole cities of men folk executed and all the women enslaved, enslaved yeah. and or raped and all that sort of thing. But in a one-on-one, he's not, he's not, <laughs> no, that's you know. It's just
0: funny to think about, like, what what a what a strange
1: contradiction, right? Yeah, but you can trust his word. If yeah. he says, oh, you're, say, an emissary from a foreign king and mm. come into my court, you won't be just murdered. Well, th- this I'll is... let you go afterwards. You can trust him on that. Yeah, which
0: is more than you could with a lot of the Mongols and things like this. Yeah. But the the yeah. the, the thing the thing that's interesting about Attila is that he clearly has a code of honour, like it's a really barbaric one, mm, right? That's right yeah. And it's yeah, it's I'm totally uncivilised. But in his own paradigm, he seems to have been really well liked by his own people, mm. and he seems to have actually governed, if that's the right word, in a way that they found amenable. And so it's like, okay. You know, like you know, I don't like the things that he did, or the person that he was, or mm. or any of those things. But this is the thing: he's he's not psychotic, mm. right? He's, he's he's obviously for a given value of psychotic. Um, but yeah, like you say, he's not mad, right? He's not some sort of raving madman who just you know has bloodlust or something. You know, he's he's actually weirdly, I don't know, someone you could deal
1: with. Just about, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's a lot of people in history I would be I would trust a lot less than Attila. Yeah. yeah. Like, for example, this brings to mind there's the Vandal King Genseric, which I'll probably mention at some point in this story when we mentioned. Yeah. Um someone yeah. like Stalin. Yeah. Um someone like Napoleon even. Do not trust anything he says ever. He'll go back on anything he's promised you in the yeah, blink yeah, of an eye. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah.
1: Well, there are loads of Roman Attila's emperors, and yeah, just, yeah. just
0: I wouldn't trust with, I wouldn't want to be near because uh, they might get it in their heads that they want to hurt me in some way. But like you say, actually Attila doesn't seem like that kind of madman. Yeah. So it's just really
1: interesting. Like,
0: he, he seems confident in his own power. You know?
1: Yeah. So I would trust Attila's word over someone like Caligula or Nero. Oh yeah, gotcha.
0: Example, so. I would expect Attila not to torture me. <laughs> yeah. He
1: doesn't, I mean, well, we, at least after he's promised not to. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right, <okay>. yeah. <laughs> yeah obviously, yeah. yeah. You know, if he
0: said he's not gonna you know not gonna hurt me, I would expect not to get hurt. Um I mean yeah, he may well torch me if he thinks I've got some information he wants or something. But
1: So we've sort of said there on at least some know level, it was coming, you know. <laughs> we've said there on some level he's sort of trustworthy or, or not the worst. Um, but he's at, but but still, he's a when yeah. yeah he's a total barbarian <laughs> so and he enjoys
0: being the barbarian mm. as well you can tell
1: you know like, lays waste just leaves cities in ash oh yeah yeah just bodies bones littering the highways mm. in his wake
0: but he also seems to recognize the civilized nature of the romans mm. and revels in being the opposite of that right as in I think so. we live a different life to you, and we know so. that we live a different life to you.
1: Yeah, I think that's fair to say. Uh, he just considers, at some point, I was reading, he just considers the the Roman Christians as just one of the many peoples in the world. Yeah, they're not. There's nothing particularly special about them. No, I don't have to particularly care what the the bishops, the Christian bishops say, or the the emperor in Constantinople or Rome, Mm. I won't give them any more credence or respect than any other king or so-called emperor that I've come across. That's how he sees it. Yeah. You can sort of imagine why, Um, if his domains, his empire, his world-spanning, really. From Um, his perspective. Yeah. So Gibbon goes on to give a flavour of it. He delighted in war, but after he had ascended the throne in a mature age, his head rather than his hand achieved the conquest of the north, meaning basically Germany and and Europe really. Um, And the fame of an adventurous soldier was usually exchanged for that of a prudent and successful general. The effects of personal valour are so inconsiderable, except in poetry and romance, that victory, even among the barbarians, must depend on the degree of skill to which the passions of the multitude are combined and guided by the service of a single man. The Scythian conquerors, Attila and Genghis, surpassed their rude countrymen in art rather than in courage, and it may be observed that the monarchies, both of the Huns and of the Mongols, were erected by their founders on the basis of popular superstition. Hmm. I'm going to go on to tell this story here, which is obviously just a story. But I've picked it out because I think it sort of yeah it tells you something about what they thought about themselves, if nothing yeah. else. Yeah. Um, so th- th- there was a popular superstition around because again, you mentioned the Mongols. There's this idea that Attila, sorry, that Genghis was sort of picked by the heavens to yeah. conquer the world. Yeah. So Attila's got something like that going on himself. Mm. Gibbon says, the miraculous conception uh, which fraud and credulity ascribed to the Virgin Mother of Genghis raised him above the level of human nature and the naked prophet who in the name of the deity invested him with the empire of the earth pointed the valor of the Mongols with irresistible enthusiasm. The religious arts of Attila were not less as adopted to the character of his age and country it was natural enough that the Scythian should adore, with peculiar devotion, the god of war, but as they were incapable of forming either an abstract idea or a corporal representation, they worshipped their tutelar deity under the symbol of an iron scimitar. One of the shepherds of the Huns perceived uh, that a heifer who was grazing had wounded, had wounded herself in the foot and curiously followed the track of the blood till he discovered, among the long grass, the point of an ancient sword which he dug out of the ground and presented to Attila. That magnanimous, or rather that artful prince, accepted with pious gratitude this celestial favour, and as the righteous uh, processor of the Sword of Mars asserted his divine and indefensible claim to the dominion of the Earth.
0: I love this kind of barbarian myth-making.
1: Like, cows stood on a sword in the ground. It must be a sign from the heavens. Dig it out. That's the sword of yeah. Mars, is it? Oh, it is now. And it means you're destined to rule the world. Oh, does it? Great point. All right, fair enough. Yeah, if you exactly. Say so. I
0: mean, how could I contest that? <laughs> if you say so. You know, like, right, yeah. but, but what? I, I, love, I love this sort of stuff. It's just yeah. like these yeah. are the sort of like I like that story. I- insane mythology that you can't really contest. <laughs> and so it just becomes like cemented, you know, written in the stars. It's like, okay, yeah, good point.
1: Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Um so, um so there's this whole period where he sort of comes crashing down out of the steppe. Yeah. And um in fact he fights many battles with uh well, the Persians and the Medes. Mm. Mm. Gibbon says that still the Persians and the Medes sort of in what would be well, Iran, Iraq. northern Iraq even into afghanistan um well yeah i was gonna say even into yeah. sort of uh where modern day georgia is and yeah, yeah. sort of uh, northeast turkey um yeah. sort of the 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 Caucasus, the Caucasus is where the caspian sea is all around mm-hmm. there he's fighting all around there before and and the eastern roman empire or all of europe really just hear of all this they're aware of it but it yeah. hasn't touched them yet yeah. and they're aware of it and in fact the medes so-called, um, defeat him in yeah. a big battle. Obviously, don't uh, defeat him entirely, but force him out of their lands.
0: Yeah. Um, is, this, is this the, no. what, Sasanian Empire or something? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's, it's some... The sons of Sasan. Yeah, yeah, some successor Persian Empire, basically. Yeah. Who view themselves as the Persians, you know. And they, 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 they consider themselves the inheritors of this lineage. Um, so that's you know it's interesting, um, but yeah, it's interesting that uh, he's essentially just looking for an easy win, right? Mm. He's just looking around. Where can I plunder? Yeah, I'm I'm literally just a roving barbarian warlord. I'll try these guys. Oh, they were a bit tough. I'll go for these next guys. Oh, they bought me off. I'll go for these guys. These were kind of weak. I'll punch them. Mm. It's just literally that simple. It's like playground bully. Yeah. You know. To watch the full video, please become a premium member at lotuseaters.com.